0: Good morning. In the Declaration of Independence, you are assured of certain unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I looked up one of your unalienable rights in the dictionary, and it's a little bit disappointing. According to Webster's, life is that property ending at death, and distinguishing you from inorganic matter, which makes it possible for you to take in food, get energy from it, grow, etc. What that means is life is what distinguishes you from a dirt clod, because you can eat, grow, and walk around. You say, well, life is more than that. Well, we use that term sometimes to describe the most po- positive moments. We, uh, if we're on the beach with our sunglasses on and a cold drink in our hand, what do we say? This is the life. I'm living it up. Or if somebody gets really silly, we say, he's the life of the party. We also use it to describe the most negative moments. One of the worst things you can say is that guy has life without the possibility of parole. Or that's no kind of life. So let me ask you this morning, what is life? Is Webster right? Is life just eating, growing, and moving around? And what is life? living it up. I think my favorite season is springtime because in the spring we see death come to life. We see things that are brown become green. We, We see the cold become warm. We see dead, bare limbs now with blooms and blossoms. In the middle of spring we have Easter like we do today. And we celebrate an empty tomb. We celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate that he is alive. And why do we celebrate that? Because Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Not just someday, but now. And Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come that you might have life. But not only that. I have come that you might have life and that you might have life abundantly. In 1984, Wendy's began a series of commercials where there was a little old lady and she had a big hamburger bun and a little bitty patty. And she came back to the counter and said that slogan, where's the beef? That became a catchphrase. For anything that promises much and delivers little, anything that has size but no substance. And I would suggest to you this morning if you take a hard, honest look at your life, you're going to see a big bun and a little tiny patty. And you should be asking the question where's the beef? Take it from someone who has lived most of his life. Life is smaller than it should be. The Bible says we're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. The Bible says man is a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Early in the book of Genesis, you read about people who live 900 years Now, you could take a pretty leisurely lunch if you knew you had 750 years left. But when we come along in Scripture, we come to the Psalms, and we read David telling us that a man lives to be 70, and if due to strength, 80. And here we are with all our technology 3,000 years after David, and guess what? The average life expectancy for a man in the United States is 72 years. Women live a little longer because they don't have to wear neckties. For those of you who have been around for a while, that Wendy's commercial was almost 30 years ago. That's how quickly life goes by. It's short. Someone has said, about the time your face clears up, your mind begins to go. Life is short. And life is less fulfilling than it should be. People are back at the counter saying, Where's the beef? I see the bun, I see the pickle, the mustard, the ketchup, the lettuce, but where's the thing that makes a burger a burger? I see all the extraneous things around me, but where's the thing? That makes life, life. William Shakespeare said, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Samuel Butler said, life is one long process of getting tired. The French like to say, life is an onion. We cry the whole time we're peeling it. Fran Lebowitz said, life is something to do when you can't get to sleep. Will Rogers said, half our life is spent trying to find something to do with the time we have rushed through life trying to save. Belfast Graffito asked the question, is there life before death? And Woody Allen said, I hate life but it's still the only place to get a good steak. Albert Hubbard said life is just one damn thing after another. And Edna St. Vincent Millay said it's not true that life is one damn thing after another, it's the same damn thing over and over and over. So if you haven't asked the question yet, I suggest that you do. Where's the beef? Because life is too short, and life lacks substance. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it abundantly. So life is not found in a great education. Life is not found in a great job. Life is not found in a great family. Life is not found in health, wealth, and happiness. Life is found in Jesus, and not only life, but abundant life. You say, well, Dan, I already have life. No, you don't. Because apart from Jesus, we don't have life. Jesus came to give us life. You see, the reason people are so dissatisfied with life is that they don't really have life. What they have is existence. People have got a bun, mustard, ketchup, pickles, and lettuce, but no beef. People have got a house, a job, a family, a white picket fence, but no life. They exist, but they're not living. We analyze our life. You wake up, eat, brush your teeth, go to work. Come home, eat, brush your teeth, go to bed. Wake up, eat, brush your teeth, go to work. Come home, eat, brush your teeth, go to bed. Wake up, eat, brush your teeth, go to work. Come home, eat, brush your teeth, go to bed. Wake up, eat, brush your teeth, go to work. Come home, eat, brush your teeth, go to bed. Wake up, eat, brush your teeth, go to work. Stop on the way home to buy some more toothpaste. Eat, brush your teeth, go to bed. And at some point you say, There's got to be more than that. Where's the beef? And then when we see ourselves in that cycle, what do we say? I need a vacation. I, I need to get a vacation. So we go on vacation and what do we do? We wake up, we eat, we brush our teeth. We go to the beach, we come back, we eat, brush our teeth, go to bed. Wake up, eat, brush your teeth, go to the beach, come back, eat, brush your teeth, go to bed. Wake up, eat, brush your teeth, go to the beach, stop on the way home and buy another floaty device, come back, eat, brush your teeth, go to bed. And what's our excuse? I can't really live because I'm too busy. And then when I'm not too busy, I'm too bored. You go on vacation, you're there about seven to ten days, and what do you say? I want to go back home where I'm too busy. You see, if you will stop and analyze your life, you will find yourself back at the counter saying, where's the beef? Now, what is life? What is the life that Jesus wants to give us? And what is abundant life? In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have life abundantly. And then right after that, in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And I want to suggest to you that what Jesus did for Lazarus physically is exactly what he wants to do for you spiritually. And so in that familiar story, I have picked out four steps to abundant living The first step, obviously, is life. Now, we don't know a lot about Lazarus. Lazarus was probably a nice looking guy. He was young. He was strong. He had lots of friends. He had two loving sisters. He had probably graduated college and had a nice job in the city. He had a lot of hair. But he had a problem he was dead. Back in 1989, then Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos died. His wife, Imelda, paid $460 a month to air condition the mausoleum he was resting in. Eight years later, it hit the news that the electric company had turned off the power because she owed $200,000. So Imelda Marcos went out and bought a generator to keep her husband cool until she could pay the debt and get the electric turned back on. I would love to talk to her because she needs to understand that her husband has got a problem that an air conditioner can't solve. You know, Jesus raised three people to life in the Gospels. The daughter of Jairus in Mark chapter 5 was a 12-year-old girl. She died while Jesus was on the way to her house. The son of the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7 was being carried out to his burial site when Jesus interrupted the processional and raised him to life and the third was Lazarus the girl was dead a few minutes the boy was dead a few hours Lazarus was dead four days because in verse 39 his sister says by now he stinks let me ask you a question out of those three Which was the most dead? Well, they're equally dead, right? You can't be a little dead. You can't be more dead than someone else. If I showed you a drug dealer in a crack house and a murderer on death row, and a thief in jail, and a man all dressed up in his Easter clothes on Sunday morning, and all four of those men don't have Jesus. Which one is the most spiritually dead? Well, they're all spiritually dead because dead is dead. You can't be more spiritually dead Than somebody else. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were all born into this world dead spiritually. So the question is how do we get life? If you listen around to the social engineers today, they are offering ways to get a better life. I, I summarize them into four things example, encouragement, environment, and education. We could try those things this morning. We could bring a dead man up here and lay him on the stage and say, "Okay, number one, we'll we'll give him an example of somebody who's living. So somebody who's fit, come up here and do some push-ups for the guy. Somebody else run in place, we'll show him how to live. No. Say, well, Let's try encouragement. We'll have some cheerleaders come up here with pom-poms and we'll, we'll rally the guy up. Two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? You. Get up. Or we'll bring in a motivational speaker. We'll bring in, what's his name, Tony Robbins. And, and he can say, man, what you just need to do is think positive. You just need to believe in yourself and you can get up. No. How about environment? Environment. Man, your problem is you're hanging around the cemetery. You need to get into a better atmosphere, a better environment. And then you can experience life. What kind of environment did Adam and Eve have? Perfect environment. They still fell into sin and death. Fourth would be education. We need to get this guy a book on physiology and we'll let him read it. And then he'll understand what life is and he can live. No. How do you get life? John chapter 11 and verse 43 says When Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth. Jesus spoke his name and told him to come forth, and in the power of Jesus Christ, he came out of the grave into life. And I would suggest to you that what Jesus did for Lazarus physically, he wants to do for each one of us spiritually. He is calling your name and saying, come forth out of spiritual death into spiritual life. First is life. Second step is liberty. Listen to the next verse. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, Jesus, or Lazarus is out of the tomb But he's wrapped hand and foot in grave clothes. He looks like a mummy. He is waddled out of the grave. And he's outside the grave. He can't walk. He can't talk. He can't see. But he's alive. Now what I find interesting is that Jesus miraculously brought him back to life But then he tells his friends to take the grave clothes off. Spiritually, Jesus brings you to life and then he tells us in his word we're to put off the old and put on the new. We're to put off the old grave clothes and we're to put on the new clothes. The new wardrobe of our life in Jesus Christ. And if you're going to do that, Jesus didn't tell Lazarus to take his grave clothes off. He told his friends to take them off which tells me that we have a responsibility to each other. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. We have a responsibility to help our brother or sister take their old grave clothes off. See, here's Lazarus. He's come out of the tomb. He's still in his grave clothes. You wouldn't want to have him over for Easter dinner because his clothes stink. And he needs friends. You need friends if you have spiritual life that love you enough to come up to you and say, man, you got a little corpse cotton stuck in your hair. Let me help you with that. Ooh, Do you have friends like that that love you enough to confront you when you're walking in your old grave clothes? instead of your new life in Jesus Christ. That's step two. Life, see, Jesus didn't save you to stay in the graveyard. Life, then liberty. He's free from being bound. Now the question is, where does he go at this point in time? Well, if you come back to the passage, the next time we see Lazarus is in John chapter 12 and verse 1. And says, Jesus therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. I love that. Lazarus has gone from the tomb to the table. Jesus came in chapter 11 to raise him from the grave and now he comes back in chapter 12 and it says Lazarus is one of those reclining at the table with Jesus. Now I like that phrase, reclining at the table. If you're having dinner this afternoon, you're probably going to go home. We are. You're going to sit in upright chairs like this, very uncomfortable. We usually get done with the dinner and we say, do you want to sit somewhere more, more comfortable so we can talk? They had it right in the first century. They they reclined on these low benches. So it was very comfortable at the table. you just kind of leaning on your elbow and eating. You didn't have to say, let's get more comfortable. You were comfortable. Now, why was that? It reflected the fact that the meal was not about the food. The meal was about interacting with other people. Now, Martha missed this, because if you notice, it says she's still serving. She's always serving. For Martha, the star of the meal was the Easter ham. They were Jewish, so it would be fried chicken. They're Southern Jewish. (laughs) The star of the meal was the food. For Lazarus, the star of the meal was Jesus. He was reclining at table with Jesus, interacting with Jesus, fellowshipping with Jesus. Wouldn't you like that? Jesus said to you in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I'm calling your name. If anybody hears my voice, I will open the door and will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He wants to sit down and have interaction with you and dine with you. See, that's the love aspect. You come to life, you get liberty from the old grave clothes, and now you can sit down at the table and have a love relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, my simple definition of death is separation. Death is separation. When you die physically your spirit is going to leave your body and there's going to be a separation. That's why your body's laying there lifeless because there's a separation. Spiritually speaking, we are dead spiritually because we are separated from God. When He restores life into you, it allows you now to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that you didn't have before. You've gone from separated to His child in His family in a relationship with Him. In fact, when the Bible talks about hell, in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it says, And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. I would suggest to you that the worst part of hell is not the torment. The worst part of hell is being separated from God forever. That's Death. And in contrast, what is life? Life is being close to him. In fact, a few chapters later in John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life. I'm going to define it for you. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and your son, Jesus Christ. What is eternal life? It's knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. It's having fellowship with him. That's life. So what is abundant life? Abundant life is being closer to him. You have life, you have liberty, you have love. When you are living it up, you are reclining at table with Jesus and fellowshipping with him and having a love relationship with the one who made your life possible. And then there's one final step, and that's loyalty. Loyalty. And we see that in chapter 12 and verse 9. Listen to this. It says, The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They came to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see this guy Lazarus, who was dead and is now alive. And I would suggest to you that spiritually speaking, people should be looking at your life and going, He used to be dead. And now I can see that he's alive. I want to come and check this out. And it says in the next verse, but the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. I love that. On account of Lazarus, people were coming and believing in Jesus, and the Jews said, we got to kill this guy. Now, honestly, do you think that intimidated Lazarus? This guy's already been in the grave. He's already been dead. So you can't scare him anymore. Someone has said we never start living till we no longer fear death. And the only way to no longer fear death is to put your faith in the one who has gone into the grave and conquered death, Jesus Christ. It allows you to live and express life in your relationship with him. So let me ask you this this morning. When you get to the end of your life, what do you want to have accomplished? Do you want to be able to say you sold more widgets than anybody else? Do you want to get to the end of your life and say, I made more money than anybody else in my family? I collected more toys than anybody else? Or do you, like Lazarus, want to get to the end of your life and say, Many people believed in Jesus on account of me. I had a purpose. My loyalty to Jesus Christ caused others to come to know him as well. So as you reflect on your life this morning, I hope you're asking, where's the beef? Because life is short. And life lacks substance. Jesus holds the answer. If you're still in the tomb spiritually without life, Jesus is calling your name to come forth. You just have to respond. If you're outside the tomb but still wrapped up in your old stinking grave clothes, then Jesus is saying put off the old and put on the new and And rally some friends around you who will help you with that process. And then when you're free, come to the table and sit down and have the love relationship that Jesus gave his life because he wanted so much. And then look around you and say, I want my life to cause other people to believe in Jesus also. My desire for you this morning is that you will experience life in Jesus, liberty through Jesus, love for Jesus, and loyalty to Jesus. Because if so, you will be experiencing abundant life. You will be saying, It doesn't get any better than this. This is living it up. This is. Life. Now, this morning, we're going to do something Jesus told us to do. We're going to take some bread and a cup. Very simple process. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We're talking about life. We're going to think about what it cost Jesus to give you that life. So I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup. If you're here and you're not part of this church, you're welcome to participate. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is his supper. It's not our supper. He invites you to come. But the Bible says, before you come, examine yourself. Examine your life and see whether what you're experiencing is disappointing because you have to ask, where's the beef? Or whether what you're experiencing is true life in Jesus Christ abundantly. And then come and take the bread and the cup. And say, Lord, I want my life to be categorized by these these four areas. Life, liberty, love, and loyalty to the one who gave his all for me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today on this Easter Sunday morning when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We thank you that you made life possible for us as well. That the reason he rose is because on Friday he died. He took the beating we deserved. He took the nails that we deserved. He took the spear we deserved. He died in our place to pay our debt so that when he rose, we can experience forgiveness in him and new life in him. And Father, for those here today who have never experienced that, I pray that this might be the day when they come out of that spiritual tomb into spiritual life and come into that new relationship with you, that love relationship that is unconditional. And Father, for those of us who do know you, pray that today we might reprioritize our lives to invest in what is life indeed and not just existing. And we will be careful to give you all the praise and thanks and glory in Jesus' name.